This is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. My name is Germ, this is Germ Warfare, the battle of ideas. Again, Denis Ranku, thank you for joining me in the trenches. Hey, pleasure to be here. I love saying your name, uh, mainly because I can't speak French. And so I always find myself thinking that I'm fancy when I say it. And I know that I'm saying it completely wrong because I've heard <laughs> I've heard your co-authors no, say not. your name. <laughs> no, you're not. You're, when you say my name, you're actually speaking French. You're doing it right. I love yeah. that. Yeah. Because there's a silent S uh, on your first and a silent mm -hmm. T on the on the surname. That's right. Yet another great paper co-authored by you. Yeah, thank you. Uh, uh, we did put out a, a very large paper with uh, my co-authors, Marine Baudin and Jeremy Mercier. Uh, the three of us have now written four important papers uh, about all-cause mortality in different jurisdictions, different countries on different continents and making all these comparisons and so on. So it's, it's really become uh, our area, one of our areas of expertise. And this latest paper is, is uh, large, it's tectonic. It's a, I, I consider it to be a masterpiece in terms of my work. Um, it is a very important paper because it, the conclusions are unavoidable and they're certain the data is hard data. Uh, the interpretation is immediate and you cannot get out of, of, you cannot avoid this paper if you're a thinking person trying to understand this COVID madness. I've got it in front of me. It's 168 pages. I mean, that's, that's not a joke. No, it's, there are a lot of graphs, uh, a lot of tables, a lot of analyses, and we've been, also developing the analyses, perfecting our method of, you know, how, how do you do this uh, over the course of the last two years and over the course of various papers. So this is really, uh, I consider it one of, you know, everyone should read this paper that is interested in COVID. Uh, the, the, the thinking, the scientist types and the, the, the medical types, uh, they should all be looking at this paper and trying to grasp what, what this is about, you see. because you know, we're looking at the hardest data that you can have, which is all-cause mortality, meaning the, the various jurisdictions, they count deaths. They've been doing that for hundreds of years. They're really good at it. There have been registries and churches for, you know, a long, long time. The Romans did it. Everybody did it. You count births and deaths. That's one thing that the state does really well. And counting deaths and recording you know, who, who, who died, how old were they, where did they die, um, what jurisdiction were they in, and so on. Um, that's really basic data, because if something's happening in the society that is causing more deaths, that's how you're going to see it. And it's also going to give you a quantitative gauge of how important that phenomenon is. So if all of a sudden people are dying less, people are living longer for some reason, they, you know, they, they normally die a lot during the winter, and they're not dying as much. These are things you can see in the all-cause mortality because the all-cause mortality is data that is number of deaths, but by age group, by time, you can do it by day, by week, by month, by year, you know, um, and by jurisdiction. So that's the nature of this data and it's hard data. You cannot manipulate it. They, yeah. You know. Well, that's you know. the thing with all-cause mortality. You can't hide a dead person. Yeah, it's hard, uh, and the and the state has not developed mechanisms for doing that. You know, they they're really good at deciding what the popular cause of death is going to be that that we should be uh, looking at. They're they're not very good at removing bias when it comes to attributing cause of death, but they have not developed any way in any systematic way to introduce bias in actually counting deaths. You know, the state will admit when someone died. And, and 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 the the fudging you can do is minuscule. You can't you can't hide a large number of deaths and and uh, so so it's good data. It's generally speaking very good data. Um, yeah. Now you know, uh, touch wood because in Canada recently we saw all cause mortality data being adjusted downward in New Brunswick, one of the provinces of Canada, 
in, in this incredibly weird scenario. And the what? government is, yeah, and the government is giving incredibly tenuous reasons for having done this. And it's just very worrisome. And I, I'm starting to look into that. And so are many other researchers. So it's not beyond governments to, <laughs> to fiddle with the numbers. Uh, and maybe this is happening in some jurisdictions for political reasons. How do you, but how do you, it is possible. It is possible, but I am quite certain that it's not happening on the scale of states and in the United States. But the worst if, that if happens. I, yeah. Sorry, yeah. go on. No, go on. I was going to say the worst that happens is that, you know, a state or jurisdiction like a province can be late in reporting to the central body what their deaths are. You know, they may, they may not, they may be too busy, they may lack resources, or they may not want to cooperate, or they, they have other priorities at the moment. <clears throat> so you get a lag, but it, eventually it catches up. You know, so you see this lag in some states and in some some provinces in Canada, but that's that's the worst that, that I had seen up till now, and now all of a sudden, they're adjusting mortality data downwards in a that's province. That's weird. Like, wow, I've never seen that before. But how yeah. do you do that, Denis? If you, if a hundred people have died, how do you yeah. say how do you say eighty two people have died? Yeah, exactly. The thing is. The data that the government makes public is not a registry of all the death certificates that you can count and look at. It's the data in the database that they're showing you, right? So that that's the difficulty. Now, there are countries that give enormous amount of detail about the deaths. It, it's basically equivalent to showing you all the death certificates. France is like that, for example. The French data is absolutely astounding in its detail. Uh, uh, and very, very down to the postal code, you know, who died at the postal code level. So, but Canada is particularly bad in terms of uh, quickly providing good data, reliable data, reliable in the, in the sense that there's enough information that you can actually check and double check and counter check, you know, uh, Canada's pretty bad. And I was one of the ones that was writing to the to to StatsCan to tell them, look, look, you can't you can't not give this data. Every modern country, every every Western country is putting out this data at the very, you know, at the latest a month after the deaths. And you haven't done it for six months or a year. What the heck are you doing? And they they got they uh, they smartened up. I'm not saying it's because of my letter. I'm sure a lot of people complained, but they started having this so-called dashboard where they show you the deaths, you know. But now we're realizing that they may be manipulating even those dashboard results. So, but that's unusual. Uh, we, we got off topic, but the main point is yeah. all cause mortality, generally speaking, is highly reliable data. I would never say that the US data is not reliable and it's detailed enough that you can deduce things really, 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 really well. Like for example, I can tell you with great certainty that in the United States, there was a massive vaccination campaign, hundreds of millions of doses delivered to the population at large. And it, it was turned on very quickly in 2021, the beginning of the year, it just shot up and they were basically vaccinating everyone. And then they said, and it's still not enough. And they went after uh, the people that were more so-called hesitant and they had this so-called vaccine equity campaigns and they doubled up and they doubled up and they've been it's hundreds of millions of doses it's been a massive campaign all right well the story if you believe their narrative is that is that these vaccines save lives in the sense that they prevent you from getting seriously ill well what better way is there to save a life is to prevent you from getting seriously ill right so the the story is that right away within seven to 14 days after being injected, you are now protected against serious illness. So we should be able to see that in the mortality data in the United States, because mortality shot up when the so-called pandemic was announced, declared by the World Health Organization on the 11th of March, 2020. Mortality shot up in virtually every, you know, every place where they were uh, locking people in and doing horrendous things and shipping people out of intensive care units and doing things like that. Um, but the, the, the point is, generally speaking, over big enough jurisdictions, that mortality stayed high. It's just massive. 
in the United States is, is exceptional in this regard. The mortality is very high. So now you've got this big vaccination campaign, so you have to expect that it would come back to normal. You've got this super mortality in the COVID period for all the thing, all the reasons that we want that we could talk about. And then now, but now you're turning on this massive vaccination campaign, which is supposed to save your life. So we should see it. Well, that's the first result of our paper. You do not see any lives being saved whatsoever. The, the, ex, the high excess mortality that started at the beginning of the COVID period is maintained all the way to the present in the United States, irrespective of vaccination. Okay. Conclusion one from our paper is no deaths were averted by the vaccination campaign in the United States. It's not detectable in all cause mortality. Period. It's hard data. Okay. So that's one thing. Okay, so it means that mortality stayed high. What is causing this mortality? That's that's one of the that's one of the things you could ask. Well, we saw that that excess mortality in the United States is very strongly correlated to um, poverty. When we do excess mortality by population by state versus the fraction of people in that state that are living under poverty we get a correlation with a Pearson correlation coefficient of plus 0.86. That's unheard of in the social sciences. This is a very strong correlation, okay? So the, the, the excess mortality is maintained throughout the COVID period, 100 weeks that we have really good data for, and it is strongly correlated to poverty. And not only is it correlated to poverty, it is proportional to poverty, meaning if you double the number of people that are living in poverty, you double the excess mortality in the state. So if you have wow. a state where there's no one living in poverty, there is no excess mortality predicted for that state in the United States. So that gives you, that starts to give you a hint about what's going on here, all right? It's not a virus in the sense that a virus does not target poverty. There is no genetic code that's known to target poverty, okay? Um, so it also correlates to many other socioeconomic factors. And these are the correlations that we're finding. So no benefit from the vaccine campaign and strong correlations to things like the number of people in the US that are living with a disability. Very strong correlation there. Um, uh, well, technically not very strong, but strong, uh, you know, according to the, how you, how you, how you, how you rate these Pearson correlation coefficients, um, um, obesity, very, again, a strong correlation to obesity, um, um, many social factors, like, are you living on social assistance because you have to. Okay, the number of people living on social assistance, that's again, very strongly correlated there. And so <clears throat> all these socioeconomic factors are showing at least some characteristics of the people who are dying, who are producing this excess mortality during the COVID period, okay? So that's what's going on here. Um, the other thing is if it were COVID-19 doing the killing, it is known from quality clinical studies that COVID-19 kills you exponentially with your age. In other words, the, 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 the fatality ratio goes exponentially with the age of the person. So basically, and, and, and the doubling time is about nine years. So it goes very quickly up with age. And as you get into the younger ages, people don't die. So therefore, when you look for a correlation with age of the state, let's say how many people are living uh, who in the state who are above 65 or above 75 or above 85 by population of the state, you look for the correlation, you should stop, you should find a strong correlation if the agent that's causing the excess mortality is COVID-19. And we find shotgun patterns, no correlation, no correlation. You've got it. You've got to let that sink in. If you're a scientist, if you're an MD and you're reading high quality 
clinical studies in the top journals that tell you that, that the risk of death from COVID-19 goes exponentially with age. And then I show you that when I look at 50 states that have very different age structures, and I look at the number of people in those states that are, that are, that are aged, and there's no correlation whatsoever, you've, something has to click. You have to start thinking about this. You know? so, so hold on. So what you're saying is that the data shows that there's no increase in deaths in older people, which is what we were told should, should have been Precisely. happening. Precisely. Precisely. And in fact, we can look at um, what are the ages of the people that, are, <laughs> that die in terms of the excess mortality. So, I'm, I'm, I mean, we've decided that we weren't going to show graphs. People can go and look at the article, right? But the graphs uh, detail how you get the historic trend of what the, what the deaths is. Therefore, you can uh, rigorously extrapolate into the COVID period. And then you see this huge rise above that. And so you can quantify the excess and you can do that by age group. And what we find is that hundreds of thousands of, of young people died during the COVID period in the United States, hundreds of thousands. And, it, in, in, and when you do by age group, you look at it this way, it's not exponential with age. In fact, young adults died more proportionally by population of that age group than than uh, older people but then Denis, it's really it's really stunning yeah but then the counter argument is okay then why did those people die the young people especially yeah yeah the first thing is your established science tells us that covid 19 kills exponentially with age and i'm telling you that hard, the hardest data you can get on the scale of entire states in the United States and of the US itself does not show that. It shows the opposite. And it shows uh, young adults in particular during the, during the vaccination period uh, died in, in very large numbers. All cause mortality as a function of time by week, for example. And in time going into the COVID period you see this great rise and you see what the historic trend is and you see that the quantification is immediate and that's the number that we, we look at and that we try to understand by age group what's going on so young adults were killed more after the vaccination campaign was essentially uh, accomplished and the data shows and that the data shows that that's definite and the so we the next thing we did was we tried to find a temporal relationship between vaccinating more and more deaths occurring so we look for synchronicity in time because we have the number of doses by age group as a function of time that are being that are being given out that are being administered and we also have the death at the same place by time so we can look to see if there's a relationship between the two. And what we find is that, guess what? There is. There is, when they put in vaccine equity and they decided to go out and get all the most vulnerable that had not been vaccinated yet, there is a rise in the number of doses and it's accompanied by a large rise in mortality in mid-summer, in the summer, in late summer of 2021. Peaks of all-cause mortality usually don't occur in the summer. And so those two things are associated, but they're associated, you see it particularly well in certain states. So you see it in the southern poor states. Remember, mortality is correlated to poverty. And so states like Louisiana, Mississippi, and so on, have this large increase in vaccine equity pumped injections, if you like, at the same time that they have a large peak in mortality in late summer 2021. So it suggests that there's a relationship between the two. And it suggests that a lot of vulnerable people who live in those states um, were challenged with the vaccine and they should not have been because it would have been a cofactor that could have killed them. And there is a relationship there. 
Okay, so we do see that in the data, and we discuss it in some detail. But and yeah, that, sorry. that mm -hmm. sorry, Denis, I wanted to interrupt you there because the question that keeps coming up, though, then okay, in twenty twenty, if there isn't any evidence of um, viral behavior going through the population, what was going on? Right. So. You want me to say what I think is going on. And here's the thing. There are, do you know how many mentally disabled, officially mentally disabled people there are in the United States? 14 million. 14 million. What? 14 million. Presidents of the United States are officially mentally disabled. That's incredible. The majority of those people are, are on psychiatric drugs. Uh, a large, pro the majority of them are on disability benefits. This is just one example of one pool of highly vulnerable people in the United States that if you say to them, because there's a pandemic, we must now completely isolate you. We cannot have you be in contact with anyone because we're trying to save you. We're protecting you. You cannot share a washroom with anyone. Uh, uh, you have to be specially enclosed. We're not going to be in contact with you. Your family cannot visit you and so on. These are the kinds of conditions that were imposed on incredibly vulnerable people who have mental disorders. Um, many of them would be killed by these kinds of uh, conditions. Now, how, how would they be killed? because this is not killing them directly. And what we have proposed is that the COVID measures themselves uh, increased experience stress in vulnerable populations, vulnerable groups in the United States immensely. And stress, psychological stress is known scientifically, it's really well established that that's a dominant factor in uh, your immune system. People who, who are subjected to chronic stress have compromised immune systems and they get infections and they die and they don't live as long and so on. One of the, you know, people, they don't teach us this in school and the pharma industry doesn't talk about it much, but the, the single biggest determinant of health in an animal population of social animals is chronic stress from the dominance hierarchy being totally always put in your place and stressed out by random acts of violence uh, um, that, that appear random to you. And, and this kind of chronic stress is the single biggest determinant of health in a social, in a group of social animals. All right. So this is, that this makes is, sense. This is, this is established. Mm. So here we have these very aggressive measures being applied and in particularly being applied severely to vulnerable groups who are already vulnerable. And so we believe that this would have uh, made them immunocompromised to the point where many of them would have developed infections. And the, the type of infection that is the biggest killer in our modern societies where you don't have all kinds of uh, insects and animals attacking you all the time are you know the organ that is most susceptible to infection in your body is your lungs because there's this huge contact area with the outside world and we think that people died from bacterial lung infections from pneumonia basically um, as a result of their immune system being uh, compromised by the stress that was due the extra stress that was due to the COVID measures of these very vulnerable people so that is our hypothesis about what happened. And we have a lot of data that supports that hypothesis. For example, in our first study about the United States, we showed that um, the excess mortality was intimately correlated to respiratory deaths. Now, the government called those respiratory deaths COVID-19 deaths with co-infections of bacterial pneumonia. Okay, that's what they call them. And uh, the CDC's own data has 
between 40 and 60% as a function of, depending on when you take the data, uh, of the so-called so attributed COVID-19 deaths as having a comorbidity of pneumonia that is not COVID-19, okay? So we looked at that and we said, look, this is based on death certificates. You cannot know. Most of the times they don't do analyses. They don't do, the, the, the test for COVID is bogus. A lot of times they don't do it. They just, it's a respiratory disease. There's a death, we call it COVID-19 and so on. This is well known. So what we think happened was that uh, the, the great, essentially the excess mortality in the United States during the COVID period was due to immunocompromised people dying from bacterial pneumonia possible co-infections with all the usual ecology of viruses that are out there and so on, whatever. But we think that bacterial pneumonia is the is mechanistically the big killer here. And it's interesting because these same populations of, of poor people in poor states are the ones, the same populations that normally have way more prescriptions of antibiotics per, on a per capita basis than in other states. And those prescriptions and antibiotics were cut in half during the COVID period. So they stopped prescribing antibiotics at the same time that all this was happening. And that, that was systematic. The, basically the medical establishment said, this is a viral respiratory disease. It's, it's not uh, professionally ethical to be prescribing antibiotics. And so don't. And basically the MDs just follow that line and the prescription rate for antibiotics dropped at the same time that people were probably dying of sure. bacterial infections. That's what we think mechanistically ended their lives, but they would not have died, and this is important, if they were not immunocompromised and they would not have been excessively immunocompromised, more people and excessively immune, if there was not all the stress from the, from the COVID measures that were being applied. And the propaganda. So that, that, that's basically our model. So, and at mm. the same time, the reason that there's a correlation with vaccination is that if you challenge someone with a vaccine injection that is known to be toxic, VARS is very clear, there's a peak of deaths in as a function of time after injection that's in the first four or five days, there's this large peak of deaths. There's no question that it's toxic to many people and that causes death. So if you now are challenging these same individuals who are immunocompromised because of the stress, who are susceptible to getting bacterial infections, and you're injecting them with this substance, you're challenging them, you're giving them that, that, that will be a comorbidity condition, that injection. And that is how we explain the temporal correlation between the rise in injections during the so-called COVID equity campaigns in the poor states and this peak in mortality in the late summer 2021, especially of young adults. So that's how, in our view, it all fits together. So in other words, the vaccine would not have caused measurable uh, all-cause mortality if you didn't have a country like the United States that has these huge pools of highly vulnerable people that you are applying chronic stress to by the way that you're treating them and that will be susceptible that are already susceptible you can tell from the history of the antibiotic prescriptions that are susceptible to to bacterial infection mm. and and then you in in addition to that you vaccinate them so that i i think it's the convolution between um this how susceptible that group is how they're already being challenged and put at risk to bacterial infection. And in addition to that, you vaccinate them, okay? So that is what I think is causing this temporal association between the vaccine doses and this peak in death that we see in the United States in, in the poor states. So yes. there's, all, there's all this happening together. Right? I mean, and also let's not forget that SARS-CoV-2 is highly intelligent, it discriminates based on location and age. Oh yeah. And, it, yeah. It does not, it does not cross uh, jurisdictional boundaries, for example. Um, in the United States, you had 1.27 million excess deaths. In Canada, 
in the first year and more of the pandemic, there were no detectable excess deaths. At the same time that there was these huge numbers of deaths in the United States. Meanwhile, you have a, you know, thousands of kilometers border between the two. They're connected and they're the two, two of the biggest exchange, economic exchange partners in the world. And the virus somehow did not cross over with any truckers or anything. It knew, it knew not to cross that border and go and kill people in Canada. Very smart. That's very smart. It's a, it's a, it's an incredible virus. Um, it knew to, to kill people immediately when the world health organization announced that there was a pandemic, <laughs> there was a, there was a huge peak in mortality that followed immediately within days of announcing that pandemic in, in many jurisdictions where these measures were applied. So the virus presumably knew that the world health organization, and it did this everywhere at the same time, the virus knew to act, it was already there. And it knew to act precisely at the time when the World Health Organization announced these, that these measures should be taken with our hospitals and everything. And so New York, Paris, <laughs> uh, London, uh, the province of Quebec, they all had these huge mm. peaks of mortality immediately following the 11th of March, 2020. And this peak occurred at a time where you, you normally don't get a new peak. This was, this was March. This is mid-March. You don't have epidemiologically for hundreds of years of data that we have, you don't have a new kind of late, late, late winter peak coming up. No, it's never happened before. Denis, so, I've got a question for you though. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, but no, this is, this is, this has come up many times, but I've heard the statement exposure does not equal infection. So could that therefore play into the, weird kind of scenarios that you've been describing no there's no way to make sense of this in terms of their narrative uh their narrative is that it's it's a viral respiratory disease that spreads uh by contacts person-to-person -person contacts and uh that classic epidemiological models uh, are appropriate for understanding this 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 phenomenon well there's the all-cause mortality is incompatible with classic epidemiological models. There mm. is no way that you can say this. Uh, there is no way that the virus can instantaneously travel between uh, Paris and New York and do the same thing in both places in, in, the, in the hospitals where you were applying these measures. Okay. There's no way that can happen. It's not, it's not, it's not the, it's not the story that they're telling us. Is it true that ivermectin was doing good things? Well, it probably is. If if our hypothesis is correct, and this was based that the mechanistically the killer was bacterial pneumonia, and uh, they stopped prescribing antibiotics, and you you felt enormous professional pressure not to prescribe antibiotics because it was COVID nineteen and nothing else then ivermectin is established scientifically to be a very powerful drug to fight bacterial infections of the lungs. There's no doubt about that. That's, that's established in the scientific literature. So, so it's possible that many well-meaning MDs were treating patients that had bacterial infections with ivermectin successfully during this whole period. It's quite possible. So any, anyone who actually had bacterial pneumonia, who goes to their MD and who gets, who is not prescribed antibiotics like they normally would, but instead is put on ivermectin, is going to recover nicely. It's going to help them. They're going to have uh, the definite sentiment that the MD helped them. And the MD is going to have, is going to conclude that they, you know, may have saved their lives and certainly helped their condition. Well, okay, that's all fine. You know, you got to remember these darn tests are not reliable. The, the, the PCR tests and all the antibiotic tests that have been developed for this, for this campaign were never uh, verified by, the, they were not authenticated by the usual rigorous methods for such tests. So, uh, you know, what, what, what are the, 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 the PCR tests themselves have been severely criticized by entire committees of experts, you know, that as, as being completely unreliable. So 
I my starting position is I don't believe the test results. I don't believe that they can uniquely identify that it's specific to a given virus and that they they can tell you that that virus is in there. Leave aside the condition that it's the virus causing the serious health condition if you have one that that's there. Even if it if it if it were present, you could test it. So all these questions are unresolved, and there's a lot of lying to ourselves, I think, uh, and a lot of manipulation in terms of getting the medical establishment to agree with these scenarios. So mm. my I, I just do away with all that, and I say, look, what what makes sense to me in terms of the hard data that I see? And what makes sense to me is I I have a hard time believing Look, first of all, there's no evidence that there was a particularly virulent pathogen that came onto the planet. No, there isn't. This, this, this excess mortality uh, that was so large is only in the United States. It's not in, it's virtually not, not to this degree. It's not in Canada. It's not in any Western European country. You see something like it in Eastern European countries. In other words, in places that would have pools of highly vulnerable people. Um, you can get this phenomenon uh, uh, where, 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 where they will be killed because of all the measures, the economic fallout and so on. So if they are highly vulnerable and they're mm. not being treated. So and also uh... I, 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 just, I just do away with everything that I'm not sure of and I come back to what can I be sure of and then I build a hypothesis on that basis. COVID period mass vaccination campaign and public health disaster in the in the USA. So it, it's a paper that 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 puts it all together, that links those two things. There was a public health disaster. There is massive excess mortality uh, in the COVID period in the USA. How do we understand it? We establish these strong correlations with social economic parameters. We don't see that it's compatible with the idea of exponential age dependence of uh, death that would be due to COVID-19. And we understand that there was a huge epidemic of bacterial pneumonia that, that, that was uh, coincident with all this, that the CDC is admitting in their own mortality data. So this is how we're, we're making sense of it. Now, we're not making friends by saying this. Of course, and I have to tell you, one of the groups that really dislikes what we're saying are the really well-intentioned doctors that were um, treating people and saying mm. you could you could be saved from having COVID nineteen, and so that that whole industry of treatment and of how to deal with this does not like the idea that it is possible that there was not a particularly virulent pathogen that came on to earth. Okay. Yes. And we see no evidence for it. Uh, um, it, it, it. We see contradictions that, that counter this idea that it would have happened. So that is, that makes a lot of people very uncomfortable because yes. people like to say there's a whole army of immunologists out there that will explain COVID-19 to you and the dangers of the spike protein and the dangers of the vaccines and everything. Um, and they don't like the idea, most of them don't like the idea that you would actually propose that there was actually no, no virus, in mm. viral ecology, there was nothing special happening, that all of this is due to what we did to people. Because, Denis, I think people want to also believe that there was a bioweapon being created in a laboratory it sounds hollywood and it it gives people ammunition for the globalists and the new world order and i'm not denying any of that stuff i mean that's all very real stuff but this might not be that particular hill on which to die yeah i i see no reason to uh, believe or propose that there was a bioweapon that, that there, some genetic manipulation created a pathogen that was particularly special, more contagious or more virulent. No, I don't. If that were true, and if it were contagious, you would see it everywhere. 
and you would see the excess deaths. And there's virtually no signal in the first year while everyone was screaming COVID deaths and all these Western uh, European countries and Canada was counting COVID deaths at a time when there was zero excess mortality for more than a year, year and a half, none, okay? So there's only been excess mortality in Canada that can be detected and quantified since, well, it may be a coincidence, but since the vaccination uh, campaign. <laughs> so <laughs> there, um, yes, it's just a coincidence. Is it something to think about? It, you know, there's there there are a lot of uh, conditions that are extraordinarily uh, racist in that way. Uh, another really good example is um, mental illness. Mental illness uh, per capita affects Americans dramatically, but not Africa or Latin America. Not 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 just you know. There's been a study that shows that the jurisdictions that do not basically do not prescribe psychiatric drugs do not have a lot of uh, mentally disabled people. Hello. Gee. So, wow, <laughs> that is very yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So there, there are a lot of there are a lot of um, racist uh, conditions out there that discern either race or poverty or. Uh, um, medication equity is what they would like to call it, right? Oh, those mm. those those poor developing countries um, don't have the resources to be pumped full of uh, pharma products and to receive vaccines and so on. So we have to have equity programs, make sure they get this stuff. Um, but when you look at actual serious studies that are not written by pharma themselves, uh, yes. you get the kinds of correlations that I was telling you about. You know, even if you're not consuming the propaganda directly through technology, you can still be subjected to this madness if you're connected to government institutions that are uh, being aggressive towards you. If they're forcing you to isolate, if they're, they're isolating you from your community, they're not allowing family members to see each other, they're being, if, if they assault you in these various ways, even if you're not someone who's connected, has an iPhone and so on, you're still going to suffer that tremendous stress. And I know people in, the, in, in those circumstances. So it's it's not it's not just the technology and the propaganda uh, that that would that would give you that fear and the stress. This that, is true. In fact, in fact, yeah. In fact, the people who are dying are generally not the privileged people who have an iPad and, and hmm. so on. Right? They they're generally the the these disabled. Uh, uh, off in the U.S. anyway, they're they're poor, they're obese, mm. institutionalized, they're on medications, they uh, are have a higher susceptibility to getting bacterial infections. That that's that's those are the groups that are dying. And Kerry Mullis also, by the way, and people forget. Yep. I mean, he invented PCR, and he to go back to an earlier point of yours, he explicitly said that essentially the way people have been using PCR in the last two years is unfit for purpose. And it was the same thing for Absolutely. HIV. Absolutely, because it does not tell you mm. about a clinical uh, condition. It doesn't tell you uh, if you're actually sick. It doesn't tell you if your immune system is handling it or not. It doesn't tell you how you're responding physiologically to whatever might be in your body. It only detects something at the molecular level that that, that is there. If you do it correctly, and then he would explain that there's a million ways to do it incorrectly. <laughs> and there's many ways to, 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 to uh, produce garbage results. I've talked about this in my geopolitical analyses. You, you know, my website has a lot of papers mm. about geopolitics. And we've, we've, I think we've discussed it on your show previously as well. But um, I have argued that what is happening here, that the big driving force is geopolitics. Geopolitics has not disappeared. It's been with us since since before the Second World War, and it is what it is the biggest uh, gear in this in you know the top level gear that's turning everything. And basically, the U.S. has decided to challenge and to destroy and weaken uh, the emerging uh, Chinese economy as much as possible. China and and China has integrated 
in Eurasia to, to a large degree and with Russia and so on and its, it, it, its trading partners. So they've decided to have a war. There are uh, naval blockades in effect around China, military bases, highly threatening military actions, uh, uh, indicating that Taiwan might be a source of tension and so on and so on. But at the same time, a huge economic war pulling out all your capital investments from China yeah. and, 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 and putting, you know, all, all, all the supply routes, everything is being transformed. So this is exactly the kind of thing that happens in a, in a, in a real war, in a hot war, and popula domestic populations always suffer from this. And therefore, you have to keep them aligned. You have to control them. You need what are called war measures. And war measures mean that people can't travel communication is controlled yes you, you have to be able to identify yourself whenever the state wants the state has to know everything you're doing and they have to be able to cut off your resources whenever they feel you're a threat that's what war measures are and that's what these covid measures were in the west they were war measures and they mm. were put in place as in and they were intended to control us and to put us in uh basically war measure conditions because they are destroying the world economy and it's going to cause enormous inflation and lots of hardship and the they they want to do this the elite will benefit from this they will not suffer from it they will try to maintain their absolute strength this is why Great. they're happy to participate in this geoeconomic project but um the working class, on the other hand, independent business, they're going to suffer dramatically and they are the targets being attacked because if domestically you have economic resources and small business and independent people who, 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 can, who can have a life, uh, then you have democracy. And if you have mm. democracy, you are threatening the totalitarian order that is running this war, this complete economic geopolitical war that is challenging China and that they have said explicitly they want to do this for the next 10 years. They've given themselves a decade to see if they can turn this around and stop China's development. Okay. They don't want it to be a challenger. They don't want a multipolar world. They don't want fair competition. They want complete hegemony and they're going to do this. And so they're doing this no matter what. Now that means there will in effect be war measures and yes. attack of the middle class an attack of independent business an attack of anything that could represent democratic forces uh playing in and saying wait a minute we don't want an economic war we want cooperation we want development of everyone we don't want necessarily one group to dominate the other uh, we don't want this model of complete exploitation as being the only way to run the world so they don't want democracy and they're going to make sure that mm. it cannot develop. They're going to do whatever is necessary, um, rig elections, destroy the middle class, destroy the working class, uh, make everybody afraid, um, introduce complete um, uh, surveillance of everybody at any time, complete mm. control of your bank account. And at the same time, they're getting rid of the petrodollar, the American dollar, as the international currency. They've come to understand that as long as they controlled the energy resource, that was a good idea and it was profitable to, let's call it what it is, the empire. But now uh, the problem with that is the high price of that commodity is one where your enemies benefit from it. Russia has gas. Can't have that. Okay. So, um, they're they're they they want to go towards a an electronic currency and that electronic currency will be given its its strength its its connection to reality through the control of everybody's bank account you're all locked in so you, you and if enough people if a critical mass of people are locked into this electronic currency which they control then it becomes the world currency and so they're hoping to gobble up uh china Russia and everybody into this electronic currency that they will control. Um, Russia and China are defending themselves. They're doing trade uh, bilaterally through their own currencies as, uh, more and more. 
the Russian ruble is very strong because they've insisted on doing this and so on. So there is a geoeconomic war that is in play, and we are the uh, we're the victims of that. And so these scare tactics and everything they're doing in terms of removing our civil rights, removing destroying the institutions that normally would protect us, and destroying democracy itself. Everything they're doing is because they want to have this geoeconomic war. And so we're, we're, just, we're just the victims of that. So one of the threats against their project is um, that popular uh, leaders could be elected through the remnants of this democratic process that exists in the Western world. And so they see the so-called right movements as being huge threats. And so they're willing to vilify them out of existence. They're willing to declare them terrorists. They're willing to take them out. They're willing to not allow people to vote based on, you know, eventually what they will have said on social media and stuff like that. So they're willing to go all the way. They, they, have, they have engaged us in a geoeconomic war. And um, I think that's, the, that's how you have to see it if you want to understand this craziness. It's not just about pharma profits. It's not just about the elite wanting to make more money or to buy our land. It's an actual geoeconomic war. Um, so the, 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 at, the, at the highest level, the people who are controlling this is uh, military intelligence and the CIA and the so-called deep state and the, the people who run the empire, basically. They are the top, top level people they have their billionaires that 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 organize the economy in different parts of the world they have pharma that that produces the the context so that you can control people in this way and and eventually eventually if you can convince the whole world that they should be subjected to being injected whenever they want then in principle you can inject them with whatever you want so they've set that up they are setting that up you see it's not an accident that uh, Russia and China developed their own vaccines immediately, uh, rather than rather than uh, say, "Oh no, we don't need vaccines," which would have been scientifically perfectly reasonable to say that. Uh, no, they have to not allow the populations and the propaganda to to bring their own people to want the vaccines that are only produced somewhere else. And they have to, they have to, the, the, the propaganda is so powerful that I think Russia and China, to a large extent, have to go along with it. And also Russia and China have to impose their own war measures because it is a war and they are involved. So um, they're seeing the model and they're adopting it. I, I don't buy this thing that we're following China's lead and that we're following China's model. I believe that the driving force here is the is the USA-centered empire, and that China was originally meant to be incorporated by that empire through capital investment, and uh, through the ever since the Soviet Union uh, disintegrated uh, or was dissociated in early 1990s, up to the the Trump presidency, the goal was to uh, gobble up China through capital investment to make a rich class to to corrupt China and to uh, make it such that they couldn't do without being part of the world that uses the US dollar as a world currency. And it failed, and it failed because the Communist Party knew how to resist that, knew how to, how to oppose it, and China was developing uh, without being controlled. And so Trump said, okay, we got to change the rules of the game or else there are gonna be serious consequences. That negotiation didn't work, and therefore, now we're into the serious consequences. And that's what this geoeconomic war is about. <laughs> well, that's also why they removed Trump. I mean, there's no, unless unless you honestly think that that Brandon is the most popular president in US history with 81 million votes. I mean, yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous to think that. Yeah, there, there are remnants of the democratic structure. And so mm. there's always danger for the system and there's you know it, trump if he's not completely aligned with everything they want but they're also competing groups in the u.s let's not forget that the the people behind the republicans 
versus the people mostly behind the Democrats are two different groups that are competing domestically for power and for control over this empire. So there's a lot going on here simultaneously. Um, yeah. Gee, that is a phenomenal, phenomenal close to the conversation. <laughs> I think that was... Yeah, we started with the science of death and uh, we're into now the geopolitics of death. Let me read you a comment quickly uh, from Donna. She says, yeah, my husband has second jab. Two weeks later, he felt like he was getting pneumonia, very, very ill, yet it was not contagious. Home two weeks and I didn't get it. So I think she's confirming your point. I, 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 I feel sorry for her that her husband was jabbed, but you can, you can see her point. Yeah, there's a lot. That's the thing is in, in our research, we, we're avoiding anecdotal mm. evidence. We're avoiding biased statistics like that's that is reporting cause of death and so on we're going to the hardest numbers we can the best quality data of hard numbers and we're trying to say what can we rigorously say and we we build it from there so at the end you ask me well then what's going on well that part of our paper is hypothesis there's a lot we can say and it's definitive right i can quantify how many deaths i can tell you that, it, that it, it's inconsistent with what their model is for this viral respiratory disease. I can tell you uh, which age groups died, how many. I can tell you that there is synchronicity between an increase in vaccination program and a peak in all-cause mortality in southern states in the U.S. And I can show you the data. And 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 it's hard. It's 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 it's. And so I can do all of those things. But then when you ask me, well, then what's going on? Well, then you're asking me to make a hypothesis. And so I make the best hypothesis I can. And as far as I know, there's no one out there that can disprove our mm -hmm. hypothesis about the mechanism, what actually caused the death, who was attacked, why, the role of stress, psychological stress on the immune system, the, the probable role of uh, bacterial infection of the lungs and so on. I don't know that anyone can disprove what we've, what we've hypothesized. If you can summarize this entire conversation into one paragraph, then what would you say? Well, as a scientist, I'm just authentically trying to understand this phenomenon, this social phenomenon. I'm just really trying to grasp what the heck is really going on. And in order to do that, I have to sift out the things that are that I can't believe, that I can't prove for myself, and the things that are hard. And I try to build a, 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 a picture of what's going on in the world the best that I can. Now, that's just me. That's my personal process. That's what I'm doing. I think each person has to do that in their own environment, in their own conditions. It might mean realizing that you have to change jobs. It might mean realizing that you have to oppose a, uh, an employer or a group of friends or something because you've, you, you, you know, you're drawing a line in the sand. You're saying, okay, I can see where this is going and this is where, this is my limit here. So each person is going to have to decide how far they're going to cooperate with this madness because I honestly believe that we're looking at a decade or more that it's that the madness is not going to stop, that it's it's going to get worse if anything. They're going to explore all kinds of ways of manipulating us, whatever works. When it doesn't work, they just change it. Okay. When it when it becomes completely crazy to say that this virus and its variants and more variants and the vaccine is going to save us. Oh, it hasn't. Oh, but it will. More boosters. More boosters. When it comes when it becomes too crazy for a critical mass of people who just say, okay, no, that's that's just too much then they just change it. They keep it, for, they keep it alive for the people who are continuing to believe it and they change it for the others. They go to global warming, they go to something else. So this, this way they have of ensuring that we are subjected to uh, uh, you know, war measures and that our democracy is destroyed and that our freedoms are removed, that's going to continue. We just have to decide for ourselves 
each of us, which groups are we going to be part of? Who are we going to, which political movements are we going to participate in? Uh, and, you know, how are we going to react? That's what we have to do. Mm. So my mm. summary is we all have to decide what to do. And I'm just trying to help. I'm just navigating it for myself and sharing what I think I understand so that people can decide if it's useful to them. My website, probably, the, I mean, if you Google my name, my website will come up. And well, no, not Google. We'll say we'll use a different search engine. All right. If you search my name, it's, it's, but <laughs> Google has, Google has been good for me. They have officially recognized me as a searchable person that they immediately put my website up there on the right band, you know, so they've done that. Um, but uh, basically, well, my name, Denis Rancourt, all one word, dot CA. That's my website. Let me say my final line, Denis Rancourt, thank you for joining me in the trenches. It's my pleasure. My name is Germ. This is Germ Warfare, the Battle of Ideas. If you enjoyed this podcast, please visit supportgerm.com.